0: This special episode of What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. If you've been struggling to piece together all the parts of your business and create a safe, private space for the people who care about your brand, Mighty Networks can help. Mighty Networks makes it easy to host a community or group, exclusive content, online courses, events, and payments all in one place online. You build your business your way and stay in control of your data, your money, and your brand. To learn more about how Mighty Networks can help bring all the pieces of your business together, go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. Imagine the open rate on the last email you sent to your subscribers. Think about the net profit your business has generated already this year. Consider how many people viewed your last video, clicked on your last blog post, or listened to your last podcast episode. Now those numbers aren't just numbers for a lot of us. At best, they can be subtle points of validation that we're headed in the right direction. And at worst, they can be emotional landmines. You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations with small business owners about what's really working to grow and run their businesses. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Now, all this month, we've been exploring how metrics, traffic, and financials impact the decisions we make as business owners. These are important conversations because we're often missing key pieces of information that make decision-making easier. But let's not pretend that knowing your numbers will make all your decisions objective or black and white. Every time I peer into my profit and loss statement or check on the click-through rate of an email, I'm confronted with my own expectations and mindset. If I'm not careful about checking those expectations before I start digging into the numbers, I could and have end up berating myself for old mistakes or less than stellar performance. Now, the flip side of this is that not only can getting clear on our metrics and financials help us make more objective decisions about our business, it can present a huge opportunity for cleaning up our mindset and setting clear expectations for ourselves. We can address the emotional weight that comes along with tracking sales, leads, or our time. We asked members of the What Works Network to share a time when getting clear on the numbers told them a surprising story about what was really going on under the hood. You'll hear from Susan Bowles from ScaleSpark, Kirsty Starmer from Build It Beach, Natasha Vorumpiova from Systems Rock, Business Strategist Michelle Warner, Parker Stevenson from Evolved Finance, photographer Trish Minnell, and Julie Trainer from Just Lead. As you listen to these stories, consider the emotional or mindset transformation that had to happen alongside each new decision made based on something as seemingly objective as numbers. Put yourself in these small business owners' shoes and think about what it took to start operating in a new way, regardless of the evidence. Now, do you have a story about learning something surprising about your business based on metrics or financials? Have you made a big decision because you finally got clear on the numbers? I'd love to hear about it. Share your story on Instagram and tag me, at Tara underscore McMullen, and use the hashtag, #ExploreWhatWorks. What Works and if you're ready to get real about your small business and talk about what's really working without the hyper gimmicks you'll want to join us inside the what works network we're opening the doors to new members soon sign up at explorewhatworks.com/network to be notified when we start accepting new members that's explorewhatworks.com/network Our first story is from Susan Bowles, the founder of ScaleSpark, where she provides chief of operations and integrator services for agencies and consultants. Susan started tracking her time to make sure her pricing and packages were on par, but she discovered something else along the way.
1: Hi, I'm Susan Bowles from ScaleSpark. I'm a chief of operations and integrator for agencies and consultants. So I run the day-to-day details so owners and founders can get back to doing the work they love. And when I was starting my integrator service, trying to create those packages and put numbers next to them, it required me to look really deep at where I'm spending my time and how much time I'm actually spending doing the different parts of my business. So client work, marketing, content creation, those things. So I spent a few weeks focused on tracking my time, seeing where it really went so that I could put some accurate time estimates against each of my packages, so I knew how much of my time it would really take to deliver on each level of service. And what I ended up seeing there was that the model I had built was a really great model, but pretty unsustainable for just me. So I'd very consciously stayed just me as a company up to this point, but looking at the numbers, it kind of threw it in my face that it was time for me to stop doing everything. So I'm a bootstrapper by nature. I want to do everything, learn everything. And the more I know, the easier it is to solve problems. That's just how I operate. But like many of my clients, there comes a point where you're just simply not the best person for the job. And looking at those time requirements and the fact that there really aren't enough hours in the day and that even if there were, I didn't actually want to be working all of the hours of the day, even if I could, it made me realize that it was that point had come for me where I simply wasn't the best person to be doing some of the parts of my business. So I started hiring. I looked for experts in their field, people who know more and are better at those things than me. Um, and it was a little hard to let go of that control. And to be frank, I was having a lot of fun doing those parts, like writing the copy for my website. I find that really challenging, really fun. I really enjoy digging into it, but it takes me a really long time. And it's probably not ever going to be something that I'm going to be the best at. So I ended up hiring a professional copywriter. And, you know, as I was going through those processes, I didn't want to outsource everything or lose sight of the fact that the reason I got into this business was because I love working with clients as clients in their businesses. But there were certain parts, particularly in the sales and marketing side, that just really aren't my zone of genius, that I would really welcome having an expert to do those things for me. So up to this point, I usually went with the strategy of having an expert teach me how to do things. So either with courses or group coaching or what have you. But having an expert actually do them for me has been just fantastic. Um, Because it's such a huge sigh of relief just handing off a piece of the pie to somebody who that's what they do all day. Um, And they go off and they work on it. And I keep pushing and focusing on the other parts of my business, the parts that um, I am the best person to be doing where I can deliver the most value. Um, I can keep pushing those parts forward. And then the people I've hired come back and that part's just done. And it's a thousand times better than my version would have been. So for me, diving into my numbers and looking at what's really going on with my time has brought me a fundamentally better, stronger business. That's just less stressful to run because I'm not doing everything. And I wouldn't have gotten there without actually diving into tracking time and looking, at the metrics of where I was really spending my time.
0: Like a lot of small business owners, Kirstie Starmer, the founder of Build It Beach, a business performance consultancy, felt a little out of control when it came to how her business was growing. But when she finally looked at the metrics, she realized she had way more control than she thought.
2: I'm Kirstie Starmer. I'm the owner of Build It Beach, which is a business performance consultancy in the UK that works with growth stage businesses who are making progress and building momentum, making money, building a team, but it is messy. Their business operations get overwhelmed by demand and they're trying to balance growth today with what's needed for the future. So it's hard and it's frustrating. We work with them to quickly get to the heart of their challenges, their needs, their ideas, and help them find the start of a thread that they they can take through from where they are now to the end, to, to their goal. We get to know each other, we have a good deal of serious fun, and we do not stop working at the simplicity and clarity until we've got the results they need. Until recently, though, the growth of my own business hadn't been so clear and apparent. I'd had elaborate plans for growth that had never come to fruition because they always ended up feeling forced and formulaic and just too restrictive. I was convinced I didn't know how to bring in clients and that the clients I had worked with had come to me completely randomly in a way that I couldn't replicate or figure out. I definitely believe the good ones were complete flukes and none of it, none of it felt within my control until, that is, I was tagged in a Facebook post in answer to someone's question about how to sort out their growing business. I was tagged by someone I'd only ever spoken to once in a group I was barely active in. And it started a conversation with the person who'd posted the question and they started talking about how they'd immediately felt comfortable and that we could be a good fit when they saw the things I'd been posting about in my non-work life. So stand-up comedy and family and sports, just all the ordinary stuff. And as I was reading their message, it struck me that maybe I'd been missing the point all along. So I looked back over every single client I'd had, their comments, their feedback, and I discovered that actually, in every instance without fail, I had in fact taken an action that had led to that client. Whether it was a post, an introduction, a chat, an event, whatever it was, I'd been doing stuff that felt right that had led me to those clients. I couldn't have predicted it ahead of time, but it left me thinking that for me, less is definitely more where meeting my clients is concerned. By doing the things that felt right, I'd been able to genuinely and authentically talk about what I do and how I do it, in such a way as to really engage people in what I have to say and offer, and the message had actually quite quickly got to the people who needed it. The numbers and the metrics were there in black and white, and contrary to my feeling of having no real influence over people finding me, instead, I couldn't ignore the fact that those seemingly inconsequential actions that I had been taking, had in fact made a difference. The data backed it up. For me, who doesn't need hundreds or even tens of clients every month, the personal approach really is the way forward, in whatever form that takes. So the process is there. I just have to trust it, look for the opportunities, act on them, and not only stay consistent and focused in that approach, but also stay on top of the data for my success and also for my confidence and belief in what's possible.
0: Natasha Vorompiova is one of my business friends who I can always count on to have run the numbers. But for one process, even Natasha was surprised at how much she was able to predict outcomes when she got clear on the numbers.
3: My name is Natasha Voronpiova and I am the founder of Systems Rock. I call myself a capacity architect because we help our clients double their capacity without adding new team members. And we are able to do that by streamlining, simplifying and automating the back end systems. In our business, we rely quite heavily on numbers and one of the areas where numbers really really help us um, is the figuring out our capacity. When we first began working on our clients' projects, it was very intuitive uh, process because we needed to see what the initial setup was and what we needed to do for the client. So it was quite unpredictable. But over time we were able to track how much time each phase takes and plot it out. (laughs) So right now we have our methodology that outlines not only the phases of the project, but um, also the amount of time each phase takes us to deliver. In addition to that, we also know on average how much of our client's time will be requiring of them as well for each phase. So uh, now we we are clear that there are um, some workload heavy and workload light parts in the way we run our projects and we know pretty much
4: <laughs>
3: how much time each phase uh, takes uh, naturally. Those numbers can go up and down, depending on the client schedule and the mercy of the technology gods, but we built um, in some buffer time. Uh, So whenever those unexpected bumps in the road happen. They don't really affect uh, the final final timeline. So that's Very, very helpful and not just to run our projects um, in an efficient way, but also because we can uh, figure out now how how many clients we are We we can, how many clients we can onboard in uh, what period of time and what that schedule of uh, bringing on board new clients looks like. This is very, very helpful because then those workload heavy parts don't overlap, or even if they do, I know that we have um, enough team members to take care of everything that needs to be taken care of during those uh, parts of the project. But another benefit is because we know how much time um, approximately um, it would take the client to make sure to, to give us feedback, to test the system and when that needs to happen, it allows us to set very, very clear expectations and um, that positions us as really reliable and trustworthy partner when we begin working with new clients, which is all, always a really, really great way to start a relationship.
0: Michelle Warner, a business strategist we featured in episode 146 on a not unrelated topic, had a shocking revelation after diligently tracking her numbers as she was getting started. You might be surprised too. Hi,
5: I'm Michelle Warner and I'm a business strategist helping online entrepreneurs build stable, successful businesses that are around for the long term. My business number story may be a little bit different than others. And let me tell you what happened. I came to the world of entrepreneurship from pretty traditional place, meaning I actually got my MBA from one of the world's best business schools. And you'll hear a lot of people say that getting your MBA is probably the worst thing you can do as an entrepreneur. And I would agree in many ways. I would also disagree in many ways, but I would agree in that when I was in school, even though I went to to school with the state of goal that I wanted to learn all the MBA rules so that I could build businesses that looked nothing like I had ever gotten an MBA, I didn't want anything to do with corporate, um, you you still learn the traditional business fundamentals. And when I was in school, I was trained along Wall Street analysts. Um, We had a very, very big financial focus on the numbers, spreadsheets, you know, what is profitable, what is a profit margin in school. And so after school, I went and I founded a tech startup that's also very numbers-based, knew what what the objective was, and we grew it. After five years of that, I left and I started this business. And when you go into business for yourself, um, as most of you know, all of the rules get thrown out the window, and a lot of things come up for you that have nothing to do with numbers and nothing to do with traditional business, because entrepreneurship is very much a personal development process. And so I came into this. With all of this traditional numbers training, and I was tracking everything from day one. I was, you know, may as well have been a Fortune 100 company for the numbers I was tracking in my business. And one day, I realized that I had fallen into the own tra- the trap that I had said I would never wanted to fall into. That being of making all of my decisions based on numbers and being so strict in tracking everything, so strict with what I was seeing that I was not leaving any room for exploration. And As an entrepreneur, when you're getting started, you can't run your business by the numbers. You have to experiment. You have to see what works. You have to feel some um, feel some things out. Of course, down the line, you need to make sure you're profitable. Everything my business is about now is helping people be profitable, but I only work with entrepreneurs who have already gone through an exploration phase, already figured out what they wanted to do because I learned that that is so important, and that is a step that I tried to skip. I tried to go in right away and start tracking all my numbers, so eventually I realized I was shooting myself in the foot by doing that, and I needed to let go of all my instincts, needed to let go of all number tracking. So that's what the numbers told me. The numbers told me they weren't telling me anything and that they were actually keeping me stuck rather than helping me grow. And so I let go of it all, and I stopped setting any goals. I stopped tracking my numbers. I stopped worrying about anything. Um, And when I did that, that is when I was able to settle in and understand what did I really enjoy about my business? Who could I really help? How could I best help them? um, And start growing the business in those directions. And once I made that mindset shift, once I made that behavior shift to just allow myself that exploration place, everything made so much more sense. I was able to quickly figure out how I could best help, who I could best help, how I wanted to structure things. And then I had a model that I could sink my teeth into. Then once I understood the value that I brought to the to the online space, to the entrepreneurial space, I could say, okay, how can I now start tracking what I'm doing so that I can continue to get better at it? Um, So that mind shift shift that I really had to undergo was understanding that there's a lot of things you can't control at the beginning, no matter how much you want to. You know, I had to let go of all the control in order to find what I wanted to do and then add the control back in. And that was very much, um, that was a big shift for me, but it did make all the difference in my business.
0: We're gonna hear from Parker Stevenson from Evolve Finance in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partner, Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks unlocks your ability to sell experiences, relationships, and expertise in one place with its all-in-one platform. Instead of wrestling with a whole host of apps and services to turn your content, ideas, or movement into a thriving business, Mighty Networks finally brings it all together in one place. You can create articles, online courses, and events, organize your community into groups, host an online chat, and connect with beautiful profiles. Plus, you can track your stats, manage payments, and maintain your own customer information right inside the platform. We use Mighty Networks to power the What Works Network. We share exclusive content, interact with members using questions and polls, host events like our upcoming virtual conference and accept membership fees. Mighty Networks has made our whole business tidier. Start growing your business all in one place. Go to MightyNetworks.com to get started. Mighty Networks is the easiest way to take your business to the next level. Sometimes the numbers make sense on paper, but just don't compute in the larger context of a business. For Parker Stevenson from Evolved Finance, that's exactly what happened when he and his co-owners started looking at how to scale up.
6: My name is Parker Stevenson, and I am a partner and co-owner at a bookkeeping business called Evolved Finance. At Evolved Finance, we specialize in bookkeeping and financial data organization specifically for online businesses. So we work with a lot of online service providers and digital product sellers. So essentially, anyone who is doing the online hustle, um, but not selling any physical inventory. So we work with a lot of uh, course creators, a lot of content creators, um, bloggers, authors, coaches, uh, coaches, speakers, uh, digital agencies, all those types of wonderful businesses that are um, selling what they sell online, but without any physical products. Now, our story, or I guess the story I wanted to share, is one that um, is really for all my service providers out there. Because for us, I think the story has always been because we work with so many people that do sell digital products, although we've seen the, the market shift more to service, um, it hasn't always been super cool to have a service-based business. Um, you know, and, and, and ideally, a course-based business is still going to be more scalable in a way that has I will say different challenges than a service-based business. But I think we sometimes fell for that story. Um, Corey Whitaker, who's my business partner and the founder of Evolve Finance. I think we fell for that originally as well. We thought, Hey, if we really want to scale Evolve Finance, um, it's really hard to scale a service. We should start getting into the digital products and, and start to create all these other revenue streams. And so we went through a period of time where we, we created some courses, some courses that we're really proud of and we think provided a lot of value. Um, but, what we kind of realized was going through this process of trying to "quote unquote" scale our business more easily. We were essentially trying to run a, an all new business because, although the the course content we were creating was tangential to what we were doing with our service, it was all related to finance and bookkeeping and business development and and business um, coaching. But you know the business model of selling courses or selling a digital product is just completely different than the business model, the sales and marketing strategies we had put together for our service-based business, our bookkeeping service. And so we had to kind of go through that experience to realize that, um, you know, two things. Number one, it was a lot of work to essentially have to put together a whole second business. It wasn't as, uh, we didn't have as much synergy there as we were hoping. And because our service-based business was already so successful and doing so well, um, I, you know, especially with, me being more the marketing, sales, product development person in the business, I didn't have the time to really do it justice. And then the second thing we kind of learned there was that the information that we have that's valuable to our audience and to our potential customers, um, that information, they do not I don't think they necessarily wanted to receive it through a program like this. What we had to kind of realize was that they want us to just do their books for them. Like that's why our service-based business has grown so much because people just wanted to trust us with their numbers themselves, trust us with the bookkeeping themselves. So the reason we it took us you know so much time to go full circle and to bring it back to the numbers was I think for Corey and I, we were trying to figure out, well, how do we really make the numbers work? for a service-based business like this? How do we scale? Because there's a human element to a service-based business that complicates projections more so than just going, hey, I'm gonna spend X amount of ads and I'll, uh, X amount of money on ads and I'll get X amount of dollars back in, in, the form of selling just more courses, right? Like it doesn't cost you really that much more to sell more courses. You don't necessarily have to um, hire a bunch of people right away. You can have a small team and if you just get your leads for the right price, whether it's through Facebook or through some other means, you can scale that business and sell more and more without your uh, the rest of your expenses having to go up. But for a service-based business, your expenses go up a little more... Uh, I guess more parallel to the the revenue that comes in, because as more revenue comes in, you have to hire more people, and or you have to start to give people bigger raises, you know, give them raises and incentivize them to want to take on more work. And I think for Corey and I, that just seems so daunting, and it seemed like it was going to be something that we weren't sure we want would want to manage. But we eventually like really sat down and thought about it, and really started to think like, okay. how do we pay a team competitively to do good to do the quality work that we want? Um what do we have to charge our clients in order to continue to provide the high level of service that we wanted to provide? Like Corey and I um, wanted to make sure that any of our clients that came on, um, if they're going to be managed by another, you know, account manager that wouldn't be Corey or myself, how do we make sure we're bringing in quality people and paying them fairly and making sure they're delivering the service that we would be delivering if we were doing it on our end? And how do we scale, um, the bookkeeping side of it outside the account management things? And how do we make sure we're training our team? And so there was kind of these numbers as well as operational stuff that was all tied together. But what we realized is once we sat down and, and, and 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 just did the math around how many clients can can one bookkeeper manage? How many clients can one account manager manage? Um, and how can we make the put this together in a way to where the team members feel like they're being incentivized and feel like they're fairly being compensated for the amount of work and responsibility they're taking on. But at the same time, how do we make sure the business is still benefiting so we can continue to hire more people down the road and we can continue to um, keep the business profitable so we can build our, our savings and protect the business. And um, again, just have money to invest in our marketing and all the other things that we want to do to grow this business and make it a, a more valuable business in the long, in long term. And, uh, after doing those num- you know putting those numbers together it just kind of hit us like why haven't we just been growing the the service side of our business sooner like it seems so silly now but it was staring us in the face that you know for us we didn't need a course we needed to focus on just scaling our service based business and i think we were just afraid to do the work there for a little while because we felt like there were going to be some easier ways and those Quote unquote" easier ways weren't really that much easier. And when we did the math, our skill sets and our strengths and what we knew at our business, we could just magnify that by just bringing more people in, teaching them what we know, putting systems into place and, and making sure the math in terms of um, compensating our team and making sure the business has margin left over it, it all made sense and i think for Corey and i we just had to you know be numbers guys we just had to sit there and do the numbers so that way we could or get clear on what those numbers would be so then we could do the work to start thinking about, you know, how do we hire great team members? How do we put good systems into place? And it all started with just doing the math behind our our business model and how it can scale. That just made going into the operational and human resource part of our business so much easier. And we found that we've really enjoyed it. And it's been really awesome at growing our team and seeing them have success as the business has more success as well
0: just because your business is making good money doesn't mean your pricing makes sense. Photographer Trish Minnell figured this out when she started bumping up against the limitations of her schedule and her lifestyle.
7: Hi there. My name is Trish Minnell. I'm the founder of Trish Minnell Photography, Inc. Since 2007, I've built my studio servicing a luxury market of private clients in Toronto, Canada. I've always loved my business. And to be honest, it rarely feels like work. I feel so fortunate to be able to work for myself, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs probably say the same thing. Now, a couple of years ago, though, I had a wake-up call. I was working well in excess of 40 hours a week. Vacations were pretty much never, and in fact, I rarely took time off at all, not even weekends. I was exhausted, and I was feeling on the verge of burnout. And then to top it all off, even though I had plenty of revenue, there seemed to be more month than money. Something wasn't right. Looking for balance, but not sure how to accomplish it, I hired a business coach. And I learned that even though I was collecting multiple six figures in revenue, I was earning a lower hourly wage than my team members. I also learned that I was grossly undercharging for my products. I had to make some changes. First up, looking at the product line. Yes, I'll admit, back when I started my business, I did the unthinkable. I pulled my pricing out of thin air. I thought, hmm... What seems like a comfortable amount to charge for an album or a print or wall art. Whatever seemed fair went on my price list. Now, because I love giving my clients the best, I would then package my art with beautiful ribbons and bags and all the while not accounting for the costs of these items. And then there were the delivery costs, totally on me. So I set to work to find revenue and reduce costs. Now, my signature product is my album. They are stunning. Almost every client orders one. When I used the correct calculation to price my albums, the results were that I need to triple my prices. That felt scary. I could do a jump in my prices, but not that much of a jump. I would have to downgrade my albums from photographic pages to press printed pages to cut costs. Now, I serve a high-end clientele, and the artwork that I make for my clients must be the best. I didn't want to compromise quality, so prices had to go up. I needed to find a more creative solution, though, one that wouldn't cause sticker shock when my clients were placing their orders. So I looked for revenue that didn't cost more time or that cost only a little bit more in production costs. Enter clone albums. It sounds pretty science fiction-y, but clone albums are just exact copies of an album. The lab offers deep discounts on these because once they are set up to do one album, they can easily produce another. By offering clone albums, I was able to create gifting opportunities for my clients while increasing the margin on my albums. Now second, I started to offer digital products. In the past, I had been totally against selling high resolution digital files. I knew that clients would most likely never print the images and I didn't want that to happen. So I decided to offer digital files on their own at a very high price, but wanted to discourage that purchase. So I also offered the digital files as an add-on to an album purchase for a much lower amount. This adds on several hundred dollars to what would have been just an album order previously. And as the digital files are already completed for the album, this requires almost no additional work. And the clients love that they can now have their high resolution digital files. I also raised the prices of my wall art, but provided discounts when multiples were ordered. The same with my prints. So that took care of getting revenue up quite a bit, but this didn't quite provide me with the balance I was looking for in my own schedule. I was still working for way too low of an hourly wait. It was time to give up some of my control of my editing processes. I tried this in the past, hired an in-house editor who worked overnight to get images ready, ready, but it was crazy expensive and the edits were not my style. They were way over the top. So I tried outsourcing to an editing house. There are loads of these out there. Again, the time I was spending managing the editing process made me feel as though I may as well do it myself. So I did. Then I learned about CloudApp. Holy moly, life-changing. I could pull up an entire gallery, hit record in CloudApp, and record my screen. I could go from image to image describing exactly what I wanted done. It was amazing. So now, I have several editors that I send my images out to, and I've never been happier. Sometimes I do my own edits, but this flexibility has allowed me to sh- t- more time to shoot and to sleep more. I've since learned that doing monthly bookkeeping is also a game changer. I highly recommend an online service. I use Bench. To see exactly where I am each month allows me to plan ahead, to know when I'm not hitting numbers, to know when I'm spending too much. And when you have your books done every month, you won't find yourself ending up with more month than money.
0: Now, if anyone has an excuse to ignore her numbers, it's Julie Trainer, as you'll soon hear. Julie is the founder of Just Lead and The Pickery. Not only did she successfully wrestle with the emotional baggage of her business's numbers, she figured out what the numbers actually meant to her, impact and
4: flowers. I'm Julie Trainer, a leadership developer and business activation coach. I help people be better business leaders and managers. I'm the founder of Just Lead, a new brand of leadership. We're all about leadership for humans. That's about helping people be adaptable, creative and productive in their work and designing businesses to be humanly pleasurable, purposeful and profitable. After years of working with big businesses, I now help startups and small companies and people who are self-employed. I run leadership workshops of startup accelerators, coach CEOs and founders of small to medium enterprises And I work with women who are starting out and scaling their business for the first time. I went in my spare time. I run a cut flower growing business called the Pickery from my home north of Wellington in New Zealand. When it comes to numbers, let's just say I'm numerically challenged. I have dyscalculia, which is basically dyslexia for numbers. So instead of jumbling up words, I get numbers mixed up. So imagine what goes through my mind when somebody says, let's talk about the numbers in your business. You can look in my head and see a hot mess of stress, anxiety, confusion and number blindness. But I've had to get to grips with numbers to be successful professionally, from my corporate career to entrepreneurial life. As much as I like to run away from the numbers, they still chase me down. Over the years, I've had to stop making numbers my enemy and find ways to make them my friend. Several years ago, I headed a coaching team in a leadership development company that was thriving and growing, except for the coaching practice. The pipeline for coaching was drying up and it took digging deep into the numbers to prove that point. With that undeniable fact, I faced a stark choice. Rebuild the coaching practice myself as self employed contractor because the company directors had other priorities or build my own business independently. I walked away after eight and a half years from a respected high-value brand which many people told me would be professional suicide. But those numbers made me realise how my destiny lay in the hands of others. If I was going to be self-employed, I might as well build my own business, not someone else's. As I set up my own, I fixated on a single number. How much was I earning? That dollar digit symbolised my livelihood, my credibility, my professional identity. But as I matched and then exceeded what I'd earned in the previous two years, that number still didn't say success to me. At the time, obsessing about that financial sucked my motivation dry and contaminated my motives. I'd gone from second-guessing my arithmetic to doubting myself. It was a hard road to realising that money is not a motivator for me. So I stopped counting dollars and started calculating the wider impact it was having, the people I was helping, and my business continued to grow and my professional identity crisis passed. And there's been another turning point with numbers recently and in an unexpected way. Behind a flower growing business, there's a matrix of numbers. You're working with numbers of stems, germination rates, numbers of succession planting, number of plants in a bed, profit margins, wholesale, retail rates, mailing lists, conversion rates, customer numbers, social media followers. You get my drift. Normally, I'd expect my mathematical gremlin to rear his ugly head to confirm my numbers games as usual, but that just doesn't happen. For some reason, with the numbers equated to flowers, it all makes more sense. I may still get the numbers in my spreadsheet back to front, but the bigger picture numbers just fits together. Numbers have gone from being intimidating to be a powerful driver. For the first time ever, my numbers nemesis seems tamed. Being numerically challenged, it's easy to shy away from paying attention to numbers and allowing numerics to confuse your business thinking. After all, it was the numbers that told me I'd be a fool not to step away and start my own business. It's been the numbers that have highlighted to me what's important. It's the numbers that frame what matters and what needs attention and what works best when growing flowers. I've learned over time it's not the numbers themselves that matter, but the perspective you bring to them that counts. You have to calibrate the value of the numbers in ways that are meaningful and motivating to you. So the trick for me has been seeing numbers as a signal, not a measure. Something that points to a decision, an action, an impact that's helped me to settle my mind and make numbers into a friend, not a foe, that I want in my business, rather than one I fear.
0: Numbers are never just numbers. There's always a story behind the spreadsheet or report. What's more, like any good story, there's always an emotional landscape we navigate as the story unfolds. Our expectations, our goals, our past successes, and our past failures, they all have a part to play in how we avoid, engage, interpret, or use the numbers at our disposal often there's a twist in the story and an opportunity to reset our mindset so that we can move forward with renewed focus. So go ahead, take a peek at your numbers, your profit, traffic, conversion rate, or hot new leads, and see how you feel. Today just might be the day you learn something new about your business and about yourself. Are you craving more grown-up talk about running a small business? The What Works Network is where small business owners like you talk shop without the drama, hype, or get-rich-quick promises. This week, we discussed the tricky business of giving or not giving refunds on consulting work. We talked about gifts for colleagues, gamifying your sales process, and how to track your time, cash flow, and profitability. We've also been facilitating conversations about tracking your traffic and aligning your time with your revenue goals as we explore running your business by the numbers this month. Every day, we talk candidly about the nitty gritty details of marketing, sales, systems, pricing, copywriting, social media, and more. Plus, we host monthly events like our Flash Masterminds, Insider Hours, and Community Roundtables, so you can talk with people who get it about the business topics that matter the most to you. Plus, we have a brand new all-day virtual conference coming up on June 13th, all about building your audience. We're featuring Amy Walsh, Alethea Fitzpatrick, Dana Kay, and Dr. Michelle Mazur. We'll be opening the WhatWorks network to new members soon. Go to explore.whatworks.com/network to sign up to be notified when we do. This episode was produced and edited by Sean McMullen. Special thanks to What Works Network members Susan Bowles, Kirsty Starmer, Natasha Varumpiova, Michelle Warner, Parker Stevenson, Trish Manell, and Julie Trainer. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 200 more candid conversations about growing and running a small business at explorewhatworks.com.